This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the reins. Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, be that city. Wait, no, it's completely true. That's what we've been taught. No. Okay. Hey, welcome in. We're on air now. Okay, so I'm all worked up. Daniel and I have been sitting here talking about random things, and somehow we started, we didn't even do show prep, so here we are. Welcome in. The most listened to, the most talked about afternoon radio show in all of West Texas. Thanks for hanging out on the other side of Texas. We wouldn't be what we are. Somehow we are what we are, but we wouldn't be it without you. I don't know if that says more about you or us, or I'm just glad that we're all hanging out here. You have thoughts. We roll along 806-745-5800. We're in the Racer Car Wash student. No. We're in the Racer Car Wash studios and Racer Car Wash, five years running, Lubbock's best wash around. Stop in five convenient locations uh, around the hub city best wash guaranteed racerwash.com so we start off in this conversation about random random things and uh, by the way great show ahead for you chris level red raider sports going to be on with us here in about 10 minutes then we have former mayor david langston talking about mullen horton brown and some lawyer in and really interesting uh, kind of rural aspects of of what he's up to but we were talking about some random things and somehow we got into this litany and the first thing where this all kind of started was this we were driving to wisconsin to see my missionary brother missionary mike we got to get missionary mike on the show sometime uh missionary mike and his family are based out of Madison, and then he goes in, he did this ag degree, helps people go reclaim their soil, uh, wherever, in war-torn countries and places where uh, they're just trying to get back up on their feet, and so kind of from that West Texas missionary angle, uh, Michael goes in there and and helps so it does a lot of other stuff too but we're driving to wisconsin brandon darby my buddy brandon darby calls and says hey man what are y'all doing man and i you know we're going to wisconsin and he said so what are y'all doing on the road and i said well we're playing the alphabet game he said no man you got to catch up you got to play yellow car and so we started playing yellow car and yellow car i had no idea about yellow car but what you do is you for every yellow car you see you call it out and you get a point and if you see these are the derby rules at least if you see a jeep a yellow jeep that's four points if you see a yellow hummer that's five points but if you call out a moving truck or any sort of construction vehicle 
then you get docked a point and it's first one to ten and whenever you're driving to wisconsin even though i'm sitting there like matthew mcconaughey in our in our ritzy lincoln and i'm just rolling my fingers like i'm rolling a booger uh, things can get kind of especially when you got four little ones in the car so we're just playing the yellow car and here's the deal is that that trip was at the end of july but we're still playing yellow car every morning on the way to school it's yellow car and it's not just because the kids are always wanting to play yellow car but this is on the random topic i drove through a lot of places i drove through we drove through oklahoma uh Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, in all the places in the big, you know, bigger towns that sit along the interstates. Missouri, by the way, is a disaster. Uh, I don't understand. I, I, well, I say I don't understand. People have to die regularly because that that shoulder is like a rural. It might as well be a farm to market road. But back to the conversation. I am, there are so many yellow cars in Lubbock, it's blowing my mind. Like, if you've got a yellow car, I almost want to just, well, we don't play at home this weekend. I, I may just give away tickets to yellow car guy, because there are a lot of yellow car guys in Lubbock, apparently. It, just look, next time, I promise, I'm not crazy. Like, Daniel's telling me I'm crazy. for. No, I'm not crazy. There are a lot of yellow cars in Lubbock, and I don't know what gives with that. Like, I'm going to start a hashtag, yellow car LBK. Oh, also, if you call out a cab, uh, a taxi cab, which, I mean, I don't think that there are any more pay phones or taxi cabs, but if there are some out there, uh, that gets you docked a point, too. But... Lubbock has an extraordinary amount of yellow cars. I promise you. It just go look next time you drive around, wherever you're going, odds are you're going to see a yellow car. And my daughter, whenever we drive somewhere, I took her to dance on Sunday. She won yellow car within like seven minutes in Lubbock, yellow car capital of the world, Lubbock, Texas. I don't know where all these yellow cars came from, but I, it... What do you got? Oh, that's a nice drop. Good job, buddy. Um, yeah, but they're everywhere. Which led into some other stories. Again, no show prep today, but other random things. We started talking about random things going on, and look, a couple... I don't know if I've talked about this on the show, but maybe I have. I, I can't remember... But my grandfather, here I'm transitioning from uh, yellow car to my grandfather, but still in the conversation of random. My grandfather fell out of a seven-floor hotel when he was two years old. The Hermitage Hotel in Nashville. His dad, I don't know what dad was doing. The window was open, and apparently in those days you had the window open but i'm not going to practice cultural imperialism and go back and draw a moral assessment on people back in i guess that would have been like the 1920s but he fell out and actually 
to his dying day, Ripley's, believe it or not, wanted to put him in his book. He, they'd always call him, and he would tell them to go to H-E double hockey sticks. He didn't want to be what he felt like was exploited in their little tabloid of a book. And he fell on the guy's shoulder, broke the guy's collarbone, and then... It, that's my mom. I did not put my phone on silent. Mom texting in. It was my great grandfather's office thanks mom and so he fell out seven floors and mom don't text back in if i get this wrong uh, <laughs> and he my grandfather breaks like all these sorts of bones but he lives and so and i know there are a few west texacants who listen to this program and really regret that he lived uh, because then you got me out of the deal um but the other thing daniel's blown away by was that i this is a true story and he wants photos and i'll try to give him photos but i ate the big texan twice i've done i think you can only do it two times it's like that great louis anderson bit uh you be here 10 hours you leave you leave now <laughs> uh they can only i think that they'll only let you do it twice so I have to check in with some amarillo guys on that uh but i did it twice i did it whenever i was in my younger 20s i'd eat a large pizza an extra large pizza every night a big huge bowl of oatmeal in the mornings but nothing for lunch let it expand and contract expand and contract and i went you know it's like a roast it's like a big huge roast that they put a 20 pound weight on and it doesn't taste like a steak and it's an it's 72 ounces and you got to do it with ketchup and uh, a whole bottle of ketchup and then a pitcher of root beer by the way that's the secret to doing the big texan did it again in my early 30s which was a huge mistake because i'd eaten a big lunch before we got there and i wound up just like projectile like you know like whenever you see the fire hydrant and it's just spewing that's what i looked like i, I finished it i got my t-shirt and then i went to the bathroom and I don't know if they've even gotten that mess cleaned up quite yet. But, yeah, I mean, random Tuesday, or excuse me, random Thursday. Those are true stories. I will, I'll give you evidence on both. And we'll get out the Nashville banner. I'll show you my grandfather. And then I'll show you pictures of the big Texan. Hey, uh, Chris Level coming up right here after the break. Stick right where you are. We'll get back on track here. Uh, get in some Red Raider sports. And what's, what's going to go on this weekend in Stillwater with our Red Raiders? Back in about two minutes. You got to keep trying. Got to let down and keep from The only sure thing is Texas and dying. And your loving makes a living worthwhile. Molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Oh, hell, the little things you say and do make me want to be with you. Rain on, it's a crazy feeling, and I know it's got me reeling when you say I love you. Hey, welcome back in, and uh, this segment brought to you by Title One. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, no. Text line, is Thursday going to be random? Maybe it will. Maybe we can start having random Thursday. Lighten things up between Rager Gate, Regent Gate, and uh, everything else that uh, we have going. Uh, this segment brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs there at TitleOne.com. Each week, We've got the man himself, RedRaiderSports.com, Chris Level on the program to talk a little bit about some Red Raider football. Chris Level, how are you, buddy? Coach Leeson, I'm doing wonderful, my man. I'm doing good. Uh, big win last week, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, in Stillwater this weekend. I will take the coach, Leeson. I did the Big Texan <laughs> twice, Chris Level. It, Daniel does not believe me. I'm going to put up pictures, but I've done it twice. So Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just going from segment to segment here, but I, I want my due <laughs> regard. Uh, I'm not saying I'm Mr. Amarillo, but uh, daggum near so close. You sat, you sat up on the stage and, like, under the spotlight and ate all 72 ounces. Two times. And the second times. time, the second time there were, like, Japanese tourists who had, like, their cameras in my face. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty sure I am a viral sensation still in Japan. Of this, I have no doubt. Yeah. But you got to, like I was just saying, if you go do it level, let's go do it one day. Me and you. Uh, you you got to do you got to take a whole bottle of ketchup because that's not real steak, and uh, no. you also have to wash it down with a pitcher of root beer. Uh, so let's start here, Chris Level. Uh, does Superman wear Alan Bowman pajamas? He's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that you know we we expected to see anything like what we saw last Saturday. I mean, he's gotten a lot better uh, each week and i think you're trying to figure out exactly what we're dealing with here and what the upside is and 605 yards because at some point in a game last week jay i mean you just couldn't run the ball and ed oliver that big houston defensive lineman they just weren't going to have any of that and you kind of got one dimensional but alan bowman it didn't bother him a bit they just started chunking it down the field and it was kind of what we're used to seeing around here a little bit. I just wasn't sure that this was what this group of players was necessarily capable of because I don't think that's necessarily what Cliff was wanting to do, but it, it, it it's fun because I think Bowman not only accepted the challenge, but he, he aced it. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he does with it now that we've seen what he can do. Yeah, so pretty clear. Is he a pretty clear starter? Do we have a quarterback controversy still? Are we hollering for Rob Peters, I, or is this going to be the guy? I, I think there's no way that Cliff could look at that team and say, hey, we're going to put number 10 on the bench. I mean, there's just th – things change, right? I mean, the, things changed in, in uh, Houston when, when McLean Carter went down, and, and things changed, I think, last Saturday when, when, when Alan Bowman throws for 600 yards. Uh, I mean, I, again – a very fluid situation but i think he's the starter there's no uh, doubt about that a true freshman yep true freshman Holy. yeah uh, got here in january got here in january and i think that's why he's being able to do some of what he's been able to do right now because he had that extra semester on campus okay 
Uh, well, so I'm assuming Superman will, maybe by the end of the season, Superman's wearing Alan Bowman pajamas. So I was thinking back at what a geek I was whenever I was in my early 20s. My wife would come in from a long day of work, and I would still be in whatever I was wearing that morning, uh, sitting there playing NCAA football. I guess they don't make that game anymore, but... Uh, I remember how great Anton Page was. Anton, of course, you remember him, but Anton Page in NCAA, what he played like in the early 2000s, right? Level. That's right. Yeah, yeah. came from a junior college, and he was a five-star recruit. And I think where where you're going is that he was like six foot five or something. Like we had, we weren't used to seeing receivers like that around here. Yeah, not yet. And so, uh, so. And that game, I think that he was like a 95. Like, you could just throw bombs the whole game. He was either a 95, 99, something like that. But here's the deal, is that, to me, the real-life version of 95 are these two wideouts we have now. Have we ever had two wideouts like Anton Wesley or T.J. Vasher? Well, like that size and length, I'm not sure that you've been able to trot two guys out there that, that are, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, range. Uh, you know, and we weren't sure. I mean, we kind of had an inkling that Vasher was pretty good last year. You saw some of that. And I think he needed to figure out a way to do it every single game, and he's still kind of working toward that. But Wesley has just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, and, and I think that that's, you know, I, I say this all the time, but like sports. And, and that can mean so many different things. But, like, you show up to the stadium last Saturday, and, and it's just like sports happen. And, and, and sometimes that can be crushing and devastating. Sometimes it can be awesome and just you can't get enough of it. And, and yet you get this kid that breaks this record right in front of you, and nobody would have thought that. 261 yards, and, and he looked the part every bit of the way. It wasn't a fluke. He made play after play after play in traffic, yards after the catch on and on it goes but yeah alan bowman has certainly got a connection with these two uh guys that look like basketball players yeah but they had doubled up i mean a lot and this is to the credit of vasher wesley had the day he had because they doubled vasher all day yeah i mean well they're playing off of each other that's right i think and and i think what bowman has figured out what what, what the chemistry that they've got going is is that they call it in football they call it catch radius so when you throw it to Zach Austin, you got to be a little more perfect with the football because he's not as tall. His arms aren't as long. Well, when you can throw it up to Vasher or Wesley, there's a lot more margin for error if you're the quarterback to throw it up or throw it to the side or whatever. And so mm-hmm. it helps the QB out. And they're, they're kind of in sync right now to where he's just throwing it up there and letting them go get it. And I think he's been very accurate, but it also helps when these guys are as long and rangy as they are. Yeah. Uh, Christy texting in. I'll take this right quick. Uh, does level work the east or the west sideline? I'm on the west sideline uh, for you know just on the home sideline for okay. yeah. So I stay on our sideline wherever that is in any in any venue. So I'm not sure where that will be in Stillwater this weekend because I think their stadium runs uh, north south. I think so. I'm not sure which uh, yeah, which sideline I'll be on there. Like the sideline is seven yards deep there in Stillwater. Uh, get to yeah, no, maybe it, yeah, maybe it runs east west, but it's very dangerous there in Stillwater. Yes, it is. It'd be great for the the visitor sideline reporter to talk about casualties and not 
not literal casualties, but alcohol casualties in the student section there on the east side. Well, they're they're right. They can lean over the the front row, and they can literally be in a, in a huddle with whatever coach is talking to position guys right there on the bench. I mean, it yeah. is crazy in proximity. Yes, yes. Or in Lubbock, you can just lean over the rail and just vomit. <laughs> There's that, and I'm sure that that's happened before too. <laughs> I bet it has. We we just watch. <laughs> we sit in the the first row above the student section on the east side, right behind the rail, and we just watch the DPS go down over and over and, and just over drag, again. Yeah, just like like they're trout fishing down there. They just keep on bringing them out. Chris Level, Red Raider Sports. We carry on here. Level, tell us about uh, Oklahoma State. What fo- give us a realistic expectation of? What we're gonna are we kicking off at eleven on Saturday? No, it'll be it'll be at six o'clock. Which nice. Is obviously, I think you you wish it was eleven o'clock this one because when when they're the road games, you love to play early because it's not as hostile and, mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, I mean you've lost nine in a row to these guys, and yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been a while, and and they're just they're just solid. I mean they they you know coming into this season. The 10 years prior, they'd won 96 games. So that's 9.6 wins a year. And I just don't think people realize, I think people in Oklahoma focus on the fact that Oklahoma State loses to Oklahoma every year. But Oklahoma State has been really consistent. It's kind of what you'd like to be. And and they'll be, they have a new quarterback. Uh, he's a senior walk-on. Kind of reminds you of like a Sonny Cumbie type. And then he walked on and he's worked his way. And he's a fifth-year guy. And I think they're trying to figure out how good he is. He's no Mason Rudolph, who was there last year, and and they're pretty good defensively. And so I, I think that they had a big win last week, like Texas Tech did, and theirs was over a ranked Boise State team. So you know I think a lot of people feel like that Oklahoma State will win this game, but I think if you can make life a little bit difficult for that quarterback who hadn't been through all this before, um, maybe maybe you can uh, come out of there with a win. So I wouldn't rule it out at all. You're just going to have to uh, you know be better on defense if, if we're being frank. Yeah, was there uh, – tell me about the defense last week. I mean, how good is Houston? Well, I, as you saw, team speed is not a problem for Houston. I mean, those guys can run. And in some level, they look like a Big 12 team. Now, that they lack some depth at some spots and things like that. But I, I think we had a hard time running with them. And their tempo, they, they they run their offense faster than what Texas Tech does as far as how many plays per minute. We talked about that last week, and I think that certainly took a toll early on, but I think they actually wore themselves out. I don't think Oklahoma State will be that fast. I don't think that they'll their running game will be much better, and that's what um, Oklahoma State is much better at with Justice Hill than compared to Houston. Okay, so it's going to be the run game that we're going to have to contend against this week. I think that would be if I'm David Gibbs, I would try to take what he Justice Hill's probably one of the best running backs in the country, not just the Big Twelve. And he would be kind of the guy that I would focus on the most and I would I would see if that quarterback can beat me. And so we'll we'll kinda of, and, and and the flip side is if I'm if I'm Oklahoma State, I'd probably let you know See what number 10 thinks about having to throw it all over the place to see if he can throw for 600 yards again. Yeah, I see that Vegas has the odds at uh, over-under of 76, 76.5. Yeah, they're expecting, a sh- they're expecting a shootout. Well, I mean, that's that seems like a shoot-down compared to what we've been doing. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, good grief. But, uh, 
what's the spread here? A 14-point game? Yeah, Oklahoma State's favored by 13 or 14. And part of that's wow. just uh, recent history, and part of that is because of the venue. Part of that is because of this freshman quarterback. There's just some unknowns here, and your de- de- defense hasn't played great to this point. Uh, and so and I don't expect that to continue. They need to they need to pick it up a little bit. And if they do, uh, you absolutely have a chance in these next three games, which are all against ranked teams. Yeah, so the new offensive coordinator from Ohio State, is that right? You did for you talking about for Texas Tech? Yeah, for Tech. Yeah, Ke- yeah, Kevin Johns. He came. Uh, he was at Western Michigan last year, and he was at University of Indiana several yeah. years before that. I was talking to a higher up at Texas Tech who said, "Look, we stayed the course. There were two Jets at at the Texas game last year. One was for Kirby to start a coaching search. One was for Cliff to fly." No, there were three. Well, there were three planes, at least. One was for Cliff to fly home alone if that game was lost. One was for Kirby to begin his coaching search, and the other for the team. But they stayed the course after the victory, and they felt like this was the real melding here, that, look, we brought in this offensive coordinator, Gibbs is doing his thing, and Cliff has been alleviated to be a head coach. And they felt like last weekend – was uh, justification that this was the first time all these things clicked together? Yeah, I mean, and, and they just they, it just has to continue. Um, I think there's a lot of good pieces in place, but it's a, as we all know, it's a results based business, and you've you've got to win more than you lose, and that's you know, and it, it's not business is about to pick up. It's not going to be easy in the next month because, like as I said, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and TCU in that order. And they're all ranked teams, and any any win in the next three is to be celebrated because it will not be easy. Yeah. Well, Chris Level, we're going to get you off. You're doing your coaches show on 97.3 here in about uh, – FM 97.3 here in about 30 minutes. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. I'll be joined with, uh, by Coach Kingsbury and Coach Clay McGuire, who came back on the staff. There so, you go. be so fun. You can yeah. jump off the other side of Texas and go listen to Level's coaching show. Also, what, about a hundo a year to get on Red Raider Sports. I've been hanging out there, enjoy it. And uh, I hadn't posted yet because I feel like an old man on those forums. Uh, I may, I may <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, okay. Well, he is Chris Level breaking down your Texas Tech Red Raiders. Thanks for time, buddy. Have a good show. Hey, Jay, appreciate you, man. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Going to get our friend David Langston in, former mayor. Going to talk about some lawyering and whatever else he wants to get into. Uh, Right here on the other side of Texas. Stick with us a couple of minutes from now, and uh, we'll get back in. Thanks, uh, yeah, I'm getting a lot of... T- yeah, there are a lot of yellow cars. I told you, just look around. It's crazy. Lubbock has to be the yellow car capital of the world. Yellow vehicle capital of the world. Uh, be back. Listen to that. Yeah. Love me. Love me some Williams. Talk to you here in just a minute. Hey, welcome back into the program. Must be the whiskey there with some bumper music. This segment brought to you by the other side of Texas, I should say, brought to you by the law firm of Mullen, Horton, Brown, LLP. With offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas, employing creative legal solutions to meet 
and address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, and employment law. Uh, speaking of Mullen, Horton Brown, we have David Langston, a former mayor of Lubbock, Texas, right here in studio with us. Going to go with us the rest of the way. You ever notice how many yellow cars there are in Lubbock, Texas? Are you asking me? Yes. No, I've never noticed that. I promise you, after you leave the show, you're going to start counting yellow cars, and you're going to be shocked. Uh, you miss being mayor? Uh, you know, I miss certain things about it. I always enjoyed uh, the job while I was there, but it's one of those things that you've done it, you've got the T-shirt, and really you probably shouldn't do it again. Like the big Texan. <laughs> I suspect that's which correct. I, which I've done twice. Got a T-shirt both times. Yeah, okay. Uh, but you were mayor which years? 92 to 96. Okay. Tell me why, David Langston, this is just random Thursday is going to be how we just label this episode on our podcast i take the kids to the canyon lakes why in the world is south lubbock cotton fields why why are we developing out there why have we never developed residential neighborhoods in lubbock at the canyon lakes well you know actually the history of the canyon lakes is that it used to be a canyon where you had um, junk vehicles right there and what happened is that people would just go dump no they were junkyards that's that's what it was it was the it was where it was old beat up cars that people were trying to sell or maybe uh had for parts or whatever but that's that's what that area was right there and uh then we had may 11th 1970 occur which was the tornado or tornadoes and that's when the idea for developing the canyon lakes came about there was actually a public works project uh, out of washington dc appropriated from funds out of washington dc that cleaned up that area and made it into canyon lakes and insofar as the question of why uh, we developed toward the southwest well if you think about about it we have a southwest prevailing wind and uh, if you look at other areas of the city that might be more attractive geographically, they were right in the in the route of the feedlots, and so that smell, de- you know, deterred a lot of development. Okay, I always get the prevailing wind thing, but I go back to the Canyon Lakes and how much the kids enjoy that. Like you can get on boats, you can fish. You it doesn't even like you go down there and you aren't in Lubbock. I just, I guess it was a junkyard. Good job on cleaning it up, you guys. But uh, it, it really looks, it's almost like Lubbock's equivalent on a minimal scale of Paladura Canyon up up in the Panhandle. You know, it's interesting, some of the, the actual walls that are around, you know, the, the landscaping there mm-hmm. are part of the tornado debris. They actually covered it up. Really? Yeah, and moved it there and with dump trucks and then built, uh, used that as sort of the, the sides of the canyon. Yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, one other notable before we get into all the lawyer in here is you were, for a while, a very close aide to George Mahon, longtime congressman. What? 39 to... Uh, 34 to... To 79. Right. Yeah. 
so you got involved with George Mahon and lots of people we we won't burn up a bunch of time here but you can thank George Mahon for I-27 you can thank George Mahon for an awful lot of what exists around here now uh I, I don't have a general I guess actually you can thank him for the Canyon Lakes project really that's how it, that's how the money came it came through the uh, the public works yeah. appropriations committee place would look a lot different without Mayon yes it would yeah hmm. uh, David Langston here let's uh, let's get into some Mullen Horton Brown shall we uh, tell us well Kathy texting in earlier and I want to ask you this off the top you were noted in a lot of news you were lead counsel for uh, Rager Dykes in this lawsuit against Ford uh, can you talk at all about that case uh, what can you say to the listening audience about actually I was not involved in the lawsuit the lawsuit was stayed and never had an answer filed by uh, Rager Dykes auto group in that particular federal court litigation okay and the reason for that is that uh, right after that lawsuit was filed on late in the evening of july 31st the first thing on tuesday august the first we filed six bankruptcy petitions for the, all of the dealerships that were floor planned by ford, ford motor credit company and the reason for that of course is because they had basically shut off the floor plan they had tried to take all the funds from all of the accounts and had basically shut down operations. So it became necessary to seek the protection of the bankruptcy court and to seek authority from the bankruptcy judge to use the funds that were available to pay employees and to continue operations on at least a limited scale. And that was no, look, I don't kiss people's rings or other things, but that wasn't a small feat that you pulled off there, David Langston, to get employees paid, what, for that two-week period? Yeah, these were pre-petition wages that we immediately got paid. And uh, we were fortunate to have some funds that they had not swept up and were not aware of that we could get authority from the court to use. So we used those and in addition to those funds uh, we uh, Rick Dykes and Bart Rager put funds in as well in order to facilitate the payment of the employees. Yeah. So at what point did you get involved in that? Uh, when when was the first call? The, the, the very first call would have been uh, after the audit of Ford Motor Credit had been completed during the late week of July the 26th and uh, into the weekend, into that weekend. Yeah, but they called you. Uh, they called me. Like, you're like the Lubbock's equivalent of Better Call Saul. <laughs> I don't know about that. I've been practicing bankruptcy law for... Uh, about 40 years now so uh, they called me because I have had a uh, attorney-client relationship with Rick Dykes and some of his companies for several years yeah Uh, just to close off on that particular part of the conversation David Langston Mullen Horton Brown here with us you uh, general people who are really in we've got a story coming up about it but 
people are really taking we call it Rager gate here uh you may take issue with that david langston but um <clears throat> for folks who are wondering what's the impact where's this thing going what would be your your general take on the magnitude of what's going on well this undoubtedly is one of the largest bankruptcies that we've ever seen in west texas and it uh, is a very, very serious situation. It has a wide impact, not only in Lubbock, but across West Texas, not only because of the fact that they had more than 700 employees, and they're down to about 120 employees now. Um, they had significant, I mean, for example, the, the inventory of cars that Rager Dykes had just with the six dealerships that are in Chapter 11 right now, was $118 million floor planned. So that's a very large impact uh, when you think of that, that many millions of dollars. And also because they were such an important community player, they were, you know, they backed all types types of charitable endeavors and they back Texas Tech sports in so many different ways and so losing them as a corporate citizen like that is going to to have an adverse impact I think for many years and I just hope that everybody can work together to make what is a very bad situation as um, as good as we can under the circumstances yeah David Langston with us how about we catch a quick break and then we'll get in to you can inform us on what's going on in a rural take here on the other side of texas uh, talk about ag economies and you farmers you want to listen to this thanks for tuning in we'll be back with you here in a couple of minutes right here on your other side Smith South Plains Ford, we're all about a better car buying experience. We understand that shopping for a car is a big deal, and that's why we believe in listening to what matters to you. Come see us in Leveland, where we have a wide selection of new Ford cars and trucks and an excellent sales staff. Love your car, love your dealership at Smith South Plains on Highway 114 in Leveland, Texas, or online at smithsouthplains.com. Love your car, love your dealership, Smith South Plains. Hey, welcome back in this segment brought to you by Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992. Langston, you need folks need a good place to have uh, documents stored and shredded, right? That's exactly correct. Yeah, particularly law firms. For a free and hassle-free, yeah, you ought to check out LubbockFileRoom.com. I free, free. think we actually use LubbockFileRoom.com. Look at that. They're, they may double up in their sponsorship this week. Free and hassle-free estimate. Call LubbockFileRoom.com, 806-744-766 today. David Langston, as we go on, uh, listen, a lot of, get a lot of response from guys. Uh, whenever we aren't talking about Rager Gate or we aren't talking about Regent Gate, we do a lot of agriculture talk from a rural perspective. We are broadcasting from the rural metropolis of Lubbock, Texas. There are no cattle guard gates around the city. 
uh, thing problems outside invariably come into what we call the hub city uh, you do a lot of work with with farmers a whole lot of work with uh, I should call them agriculture producers uh, new provisions new tax provisions coming in that farmers ought to look into maybe ask you about David Langston well just a little bit of background first of all you know this isn't the first time that we've had some problems in agriculture I mentioned earlier that I've been practicing bankruptcy law for about 40 years now just so happened that when I started practicing law in 1979 the bankruptcy code went into effect October the 1st of 1979. Hey, I was born in 79. Were you really? <laughs> I don't doubt that. But uh, but at any rate, one of the things that happened during the 80s is that we had lots of farmers in trouble because when inflation was brought under control, land prices went down, and it, mean, it meant that some of their farm loans were undersecured. And it rained. At least in West Texas, it rained a whole lot. And I, I'm going to lead you into what you're talking about. But I'm going to give you... Lots of times people ask me, they think I'm on the take. And listen to the sponsorships in this program. You don't hear, like, farmer this, farmer that. From a personal experience, I was born in 79, as I just mentioned. And then it rained on Dad's farm. He was young, in his early 20s. It just started out, which is was a terrible time to start at least in up on the cap rock because it rained in 81 as dad says it rained twice as much in 82 and then in 83 it rained twice as much as it did in 82 a result of that with inflation with credit uh, with interest rates hiking dad did go bankrupt uh, cotton farming a hard lesson for him in his early 20s I saw what that did to him David Langston and that's why I advocate as I do for farmers but right. just to throw that in to say whenever well I'll also add my people always treat farming like it's market economy but it's not market economy in that they've got to uh, a farmer's got to stand up against tariffs non-trade tariffs the weather and whatever the EPA or whatever else comes in they're they're fighting on five fronts at once battles too big to fight alone so you've got some advice I just wanted to throw that in there for my own personal stake why I'm interested in this conversation well there's so many uncontrollables in farming you know you start out the the year and the price may be high and by the time you harvest your crop it may be extremely low you have no controls over what the cost of your inputs are not only that but if you have a bad situation occur to you either by bad weather or bad markets or whatever it is and your banker tells you that you're not going to have an operating loan next year you're in sort of a fix because here's the problem that you get into I have I had a farmer just recently that he finished his crop he had a good financing in place and he had a reasonable crop but not one that would pay out the loan in full okay so what happens is he carries over part of his crop into the new year, into 2018. Yeah, the carryover. Has like $600,000 worth of income that comes in, okay? And then he learns that he's not going to get an operating line and he's facing bankruptcy, okay? Well, if you just stop farming right there and you have $600,000 worth of income 
and no expenses to offset it. What are you looking at? You're looking at a terrible tax problem. And the problem is it's already hit you, and you don't even know it, because about a third of that $600,000 that he had was going to be taxable. Then you've got income taxes that are non-dischargeable, meaning that they cannot be wiped off your financial statement or your liability as a result of a bankruptcy. But there's a new provision that has gone into effect. Late last year, they added a new section to the bankruptcy call. Who's they? Congress passed okay. a new law. The president signed it into law. Section 1232 of the Bankruptcy Code now provides that if you take a Chapter 12, that is, if you qualify as a family farmer and you have debts less than $4.15 million, that you can file a Chapter 12 and any taxes that are created either before the filing of the bankruptcy or during the bankruptcy by the liquidation of farming assets. For example, this particular farmer had no ba basis in his farm machinery and equipment. He sells it for $750,000. That $750,000 then is tacked on top of the $600,000 of crop carryover. Then he gets another, say, $80,000 worth of you know, crop-like uh, crop insurance or FSA farm program payments. He's in a real fix because he's going to end up. We did a we did a pro forma analysis of how many taxes he would owe as a result of that on his 2018 return. $460,000 worth of taxes. But if you file a chapter 12 and you successfully complete your plan, meaning that you scale back your farming operation and and you continue farming and you successfully complete that plan, then the $460,000 worth of taxes go away as general unsecured creditors. All, all together? All together. No taxes. Hmm. And the reason for that is that Section 1232 says that any taxes that are created by the liquidation of farm assets are treated as, as general unsecured creditors. Well, general unsecured creditors, if you've ever been through uh, Bankruptcy 101, you know they don't get paid 100 cents on the dollar. They might get paid 10 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. So since those, ta those taxes are treated as general unsecured claims, and since in Chapter 12 it's a net disposable income standard, whatever you pay on a pro rata basis to unsecured creditors over the three-year life of the plan are discharged. So we project in our cash flow projections that he's going to pay about $30,000 over the life of his plan, yeah. $10,000 a year. Uh, David Langston, Mullen, Horden, Brown here on your other side. Uh, so <clears throat> who in the audience, uh, is there a particular demographic of the audience that should be listening very closely to what you're saying right yeah. now? If you are a farmer and you're thinking about stopping farmer getting off the merry-go-round is what I call it and you're going to have to liquidate your farm machinery equipment and you've and you've got crops in hand you need to get consultation before you start liquidating those assets and turning the proceeds over to your banker or your financer because you may be creating taxes that are not dischargeable and you know 
once that happens, unless you dis- determine that you're going to file a Chapter 12, those taxes are going to follow you, and you will uh, not likely be able to pay them for the rest of your life. Yeah. Uh, let's switch gears for just a moment, David Langston, and tell me, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have, you're sitting in studio with me, we're going to have three or four kids who are about to graduate from tech, young farmers going in. And it, again, it comes from my own, the great part about doing radio is that I get to talk with people that I might not otherwise talk to, but I can also take my own story and hear other people talk about it so i'm looking at a bunch of kids who will have been in four years maybe in the situation that my dad was in starting off farming uh four young farmers and kids that are going in they're buying their own equipment uh what what should they be on the lookout for and why should they be concerned about calling you about um, about initiate a conversation to keep themselves protected well i think first of all they need to make sure that i don't think it's wise to go into farming today and operate as just a dba or a sole proprietorship i think what what you want to do is operate either in a corporation or a limited liability company so that they should think about having those formed and operating out of those entities i think they also want to do some planning on a long-term basis. They need to be smart about cash flow projections. You know, we have the tools available now to project, you know, using historical yields and using the best information we can about prices, Uh, you know, cotton futures, for example, or grain futures, and using those in your projections. You You can put together a budget for your entire crop year and then as you move through the year you can compare that budget to what reality has created and you can make necessary adjust adjustments that is that is the type of planning i think that young farmers need to do to take advantage of the tools that are available to them that probably were not available to their fathers or grandfathers what do you so i'm going to get back into langston the politician and ask you this Speaking of those young farmers, the conversation has come up. Why take the risk? Like, why enter into agriculture at this point, giving the risk? What are some measures that you wish politicians dealing with bankruptcy? So you're dealing with people whose lives are essentially in shambles. Uh, farmers who've come in and they've maybe they feel like they failed. Uh, by accountable measures they have but what are some if you could if you could talk with red state agriculture uh, congressmen uh, districts that are predominantly agriculture what are some measures that you would introduce to them to say hey we need to look at a b and c to ensure that we've got the next generation of farmers taken care of in this country Well, I think that we have to have a farm program every year so that we can have uh, the safety net that is there. I think there's a pretty good safety net, actually, that has been created by the crop insurance program that's now in place. Uh, It enables farmers to to use uh, private companies to insure their crops. 
but to receive government assistance to those crop insurance companies so that they make the prices available. It enables them to have a unique form of financing that they have not had in the past because now you have uh, companies like Ag Resource Management, AgriFund Inc., others that uh, are looking at, they will lend up to whatever your maximum crop insurance coverage is. That's a tool that was not available several years ago. It's important, for example, right now dairy farmers are having a very difficult time because of low milk prices. Because of the tariffs that have put in place, I think that it would be important for us to look at milk quotas in this country. They have them in Canada, and a, a milk quota simply says that you can't go out and produce as much milk as you want to that are going and, and have a protected price on it. You're going to be limited to the amount of milk that you can produce. When we go out here and we have, you know, farmers that now are moving from California. I met with one last week, had just recently moved from California because the urban sprawl has caused them to not be able to produce milk or, or be able to run a dairy because of the environmental issues in California. They move out here, and when you're producing, you know, they, they might have had a thousand head dairy in California. Now they're having a 10,000 head dairy here in West Texas. That produces so much more milk that you, when you do have re recessions, downturns, the first thing that happens in, in these countries where we're exporting dairy products now is they cut back on their protein intake that in turn causes a glut on the domestic market and that in turn causes significant financial difficulties for farmers who already have their input costs locked into, into place as well as what they've got to pay for the dairy facility and for their operating funds. Yeah. David Langston, we close up with you. Um, you are, to be, to be transparent, you are still a Democrat. A lot of people are not still Democrats. Uh, I always say in this program, I just want to test my theory with you. There are more Aborigines in Lubbock, Texas, than there are real coastal, coasty uh, liberal Democrats. Agree or disagree? Well, I think there are a lot of closet Democrats out there right now, quite frankly. I think the, I think the political environment is changing uh, more than we imagine. And I think that uh, the Democratic Party is changing more than you imagine, quite frankly. Um, it's regrettable that we have the wide spectrum, the far, far right and the far, far left. I think that we do much better when we have people that are more in the middle and that reach across the aisle and try to compromise. Life is a series of compromises. Every time I have... a for example, a bankruptcy. Take the Rager Dyke situation, for example. Ford Motor Credit is not going to get everything they want. The debtors are not going to get everything they want. The banks are not going to get everything that they want. And it's going to, it, you only get a plan of reorganization if you come together and everyone is willing to compromise and make the best of a bad situation. That ought to be the politics of our local governmental entities, 
of our state legislature and of our national congress compromise is a fact of life it makes things work better and it makes people people happier and that's what we ought to strive for yes but counselor more aborigines or real liberal democrats in lubbock texas you know, I disagree with that. I think there are real liberal Democrats okay. in, in, in Lubbock, Texas. Right. Well, I think you may not know them, but they're there. Okay. David Langston, appreciate you making time to come in. Uh, we'll put that audio up. It'll be up Apple iTunes. Big podcast there. Appreciate you downloading that and sharing it with your friends. Other side of Texas.com at OSTX show. I did get several texts. Yeah, I put up a piece today. I do think it could be a death knell for Rick Francis, uh, board chairman, chairman of the regions at Texas Tech University. You can see it there. Other side of Texas.com inside a deep dive into Rick Francis and his decision to fire Bob Duncan and how it was driven by conflicts of interest. Uh, go check it out. Share it with your friends. Appreciate it. And appreciate you tuning in. We'll close out this episode of The Other Side of Texas. Langston trying some Topo Chico. I want a dispenser in my house. Hey, uh, got to get home. Going to get home. Great family. Above average ten. We'll see you next episode right here. On the other side. Up and just fake it. And two step over eight.